0: great to have you here we'll continue in our kingdom series this morning after this morning we still have three weeks left to this summer series and uh, just to tip you off brother nate hamblin will be here next week to bring the word Uh, most of you remember nate and uh, i was actually supposed to be in africa this month i got canceled again because of COVID over there Uh, so we had scheduled nate and uh, so you're going to be delighted to be with nate again and uh, for those of you who don't know him he used to serve here for I don't know, seven or eight years, and uh, so it'll be a delight to have Nate back in our pulpit. I want you to think now about God's kingdom in contrast to other kingdoms just for a minute or two. In most kingdoms, citizens rise to prominence in that kingdom because they do things that the king likes, and so if a country's taken over by a new king, uh, those those People near him will try to jockey for position and kind of snuggle up close to the king, doing things the king likes because they know he's sovereign over the kingdom. And so if they make the king happy, the king will uh, protect them and keep them safe and the king will give them many blessings and the king may elevate them to a particular position of prominence or influence. So people try to please the king by their behavior. God's kingdom is much different. God's kingdom is much different. In God's kingdom, God adopts people, if you will, into his kingdom. And then he just blesses them. He he gives them. They become, once they are adopted in and become citizens, they have the full inheritance of the kingdom. It's not about what they do, nothing they do. It's not their behavior that gets them into the kingdom. It's the work of God. And so God's kingdom is very different. In God's kingdom, it's not about rewarding loyal behavior, but what God does for his subjects. And what God does is different than any other king can do because the way God brings people into his kingdom is actually by uniting them with the king. And we're going to talk a lot about that this morning and try to help you understand what that means. And so it's not that God just declares us citizens, but he makes us citizens through uniting us with the king himself. And then our challenge is to recognize that, our identi- that that's our identity and live from the fullness of that. Live from the fullness of who we are in union with the king. And that, I would suggest to you, is really kind of a lifelong process of understanding, apprehension, following the lead of God, and allowing God to work in us and through us. For example, 42 and a half years ago, my identity changed. I became a husband. I'd never been a husband. I thought I knew what being a husband was about. (laughs) Didn't have much of a clue back then. And I've now been a husband for 42 and a half years. And from the moment my wife and I, on a stage similar to this, said, yes, I will betroth myself to this beloved person for the rest of my life on earth, our identity changed. But I'm still learning what that means. I'm still learning the implications of that. I'm still growing in the delight of that. Forty-two and a half years later, you would have thought I'd figured it out by now. Ask my wife, I definitely haven't. All right? Forty-one years ago, I became a bride of a king, King Jesus. Simultaneous with that, I became a son of that kingdom and had the full rights of full inheritance. I also became a brick in a building that God was building on the foundation of Christ to be a holy and eternal temple. I also became a part of a living body, an organism of interdependence, all connected to the head of Jesus Christ, to advance the gospel and the good news and God's grace on earth. And I became a branch of a vine because God grafted me in. Those are all union metaphors in the Scripture that we'll talk about later as we go through this message. Uh, But this is God's work of changing my identity, uh, it takes my cooperation and my faith, but it's, it's all God from start to finish. So it's not about I do the right things so the king will shine his favor on me. No, it's the opposite. God shines his favor on me, makes me a kingdom citizen, and then I do different things. Very different sequence than any other kingdom. And so Jeremy Treat, who wrote the book Seek First, that we're Many of you are reading with us this summer. says this, In God's kingdom, our identity is rooted not in what we can do for God, but rather in what God has done for us. Very different. Lord Jesus, would you give us rich insight into this idea of what you do for us, how you make us kingdom citizens, that we would apprehend our identity in a completely different way today and if that's not us yet that you would stir us to that point of surrender that we can be citizens of your kingdom living in union with the king so open our hearts and teach us by your spirit now in Jesus name and for his glory amen I'm going to take a lot of stuff from Colossians chapter 1 this morning invite you to turn there I'm going to kind of give you a Some points really quick. You've got your bulletin notes there. You can fill some of that out. And so it's going to kind of be rapid fire a little bit. It would really help if you'd open your personal Bible to Colossians 1 to get the overview there or the Bible under the chair in front of you. We will have stuff on the screens, but that would help you. And uh, most of this comes out of a prayer. Verses 9 through, I think, 12 is a prayer by Paul. And with a lot of Paul's prayers that he prays for New Testament churches, he uses some really long sentences. And so sometimes they're hard to follow. So I'm going to kind of break that down into some pieces for you, and, but we're going to go quickly. So point number one is this. If, the, if, if kingdom people is what about God has done for us, our first point is that God capacitates us to be and live as citizens of his kingdom. He's the one who makes us kingdom citizens. He gives us all we need to be citizens of his kingdom. Um, look at Colossians one. The second half of verse 12 and 13. I'm kind of breaking into that long sentence of Paul here. Um, And this is actually from the English Standard Version. We'll go back to the NIV for the rest of the sermon, but I chose this because of the word transferred. So start with the word Father. It just says Father, and then this is almost parenthetical. The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us To be the kingdom of his beloved son. So this is the work of God. For us to be kingdom citizens, it's all about what God does for us and in us, not what we do for him. It's not a reward for loyalty. God extends grace, and then we live differently. All right, I want to break this down into five things that Paul really prays for kingdom people. Or declares, and the first couple are our declarations come right out of this verse. Letter A is that God qualifies us to share in his kingdom. He qualifies us to do this. That comes out of verse 12 that we just saw. And then let me go, if, if you go to, oops, hang on here, I'm losing myself. If you go down to uh, verse 21 of this text uh, in chapter 1, let me read it for you once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So once we were not citizens of God's kingdom, we were alienated from him. We were were enemies because of our evil behavior. And then verse 22 says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Holy means set apart as a kingdom citizen. So this is how God qualifies us. He qualifies us to be kingdom citizens by the work, the complete work, of Jesus Christ on the cross. We weren't qualified. We used to be enemies. But God, because of what Jesus did, has qualified us to be kingdom people. So it's not what we do that qualifies us. It's what God did that qualified us. And then, letter B, he's the one who transfers us or gives us kingdom citizenship. God transfers us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what we just read in Colossians 1.13. And if you back up just a page or so, Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is where? In heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Not because we're really good subjects and we deserved it, but because God transferred us into citizenship. Paul prays some other things for us that are ours in Christ as a part of his kingdom. Letter C, he fills us with the knowledge of his will that comes from verse 9. So again, to contrast with other kingdoms, most kingdom subjects, they have to figure out what the king's will is by trial and error or by understanding the king's legislation. In this case, our king puts his will in our hearts. He fills us, literally fills us internally with the knowledge of his will. And not only that, but letter D, he then imparts wisdom and understanding through his Holy Spirit. Wisdom to know how to live out that will. Understanding to know the implications of that will. Grace to be obedient to that will. And then letter E, sometimes if we lack the power to live that out, he actually strengthens us with the power of Jesus Christ. Paul prays these things for the church with confidence that these gifts are part of God capacitating us to be kingdom people. And it's not just in Colossians. Uh, Ephesians 3, 16 to 18 is a great prayer of Paul for power, for the people of God, for the church. So God not only capacitates us with with, uh, qualifying us and transferring us into the kingdom and giving a knowledge of his will, but he gives us the power to live this out. Divine power to live with strength and from our text endurance patience and joyful thanksgiving now why does god do this well number two god capacitates kingdom people so they might live a different way and this is all also a part of paul's prayer in these verses from 9 through 12 paul says god does this so that we might live a life worthy of the lord and please him in every way that's what a faithful citizen does and In any other kingdom besides God, you have to work really hard to do that. And if if you mess it up, it can be really bad for you. In God's kingdom, God's the one who capacitates us so that we can, letter A, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Letter B, we can bear fruit. He capacitates us as kingdom people so we can bear fruit. Fruit for his glory. Now, fruit is a wonderful metaphor because it's an organic thing. We can't manufacture it. This is something God grows in us and through us. Thirdly, we grow in the knowledge of God. As God capacitates us, we learn more and more about who He is and His purposes, His character, His essential being. And as we are capacitated by Him, we then are able to have great endurance and patience. That's letter D. We can face, no matter what occasion of life, we can endure through that with great patience and even joy, that's letter E, we can give joyful thanks to the Father. We can live in gratitude to our benevolent king. You see, that's the difference between any other kingdom. Any other kingdom, the citizens live out of obligation or duty to the king. In God's kingdom, we live in gratitude to the king. Because it's not about whether we live up to his expectations or not. It's not about he rewards us for our loyalty He's the one who makes us. He's the one who changes us to be kingdom citizens. So we can simply live in gratitude for that. Now with that comes some duty, of course, and we'll talk about that. But Paul is praying here that we would understand how God capacitates us that we could live in joyful gratitude. So to summarize, God capacitates us with those five things and more. This is just what Paul is praying in this text so that we can live in these five ways and other ways that are described throughout the New Testament. Now, we want to focus the rest of our time this morning on how. How in the world does this work? How does God do this? How does he capacitate us? How does he change us? We know it starts with the work of Christ. It starts with God transferring us into his kingdom. But how does this stuff get in us enabling us to live these different ways. And I want to suggest to you it is primarily through what Scripture teaches, and I'll use the word union, our union with Jesus Christ. And I don't think this is a term that we think enough about. It's a term I've been thinking a lot about the last six or seven years. And I think this is how it works. God capacitates me and you to be kingdom people by uniting us with the King. God doesn't make legislation so we know what we ought to do. He puts the heart of the king in us, and us in the king. So that the very mind and heart of God is in us by the gift of his spirit, and we're united with Christ, and we, we can live out of that union. Not according to legislation, but real life change union that God does in us and through us. No other kingdom can do this. No other king can do this. No other king can pour himself into you. (laughs) He can try to influence you with propaganda. He can threaten you. He can legislate your behavior, but he can't put that king here or that queen, they can't put themselves in you. But God can and does, and so we live in union with him. So our challenge is to learn who we are in union with Christ, to recognize that daily, and then live from that identity. So here's our third point in a statement that we'll we'll break down for you as we go. Number three, when we live from union with Jesus Christ, we live for the glory of Jesus Christ. When we live from union with Jesus Christ, we end up living for the glory of Jesus Christ. But too often we try to live for the glory of Jesus Christ out of some other platform instead of our union with Jesus Christ. We try to live for Him by trying harder, by doing really good things, by writing a check in the offering just a little bit bigger. If we try to live for His glory, apart from union with Jesus, we will fail. We'll just be like any other kingdom, but the kingdom of God is different because the king himself is united with his subjects. Now, let me explain this in two ways. First, I want to talk about this word union and help you understand, try to give you a biblical vision of what this union with Jesus really means. And it's it, I'm, I'm not saying you're going to get it this morning, all right? It's kind of hard to understand. I think it's a thing that's spiritually discerned. I just want to seed that in your hearts and ask you to pray about this and trust the Holy Spirit to... Give you this apprehension and this insight, um, and here's let me give you some motivation. Why we need to learn this, we need to understand this, because I I really do believe this is Jesus's highest desire for us as believers in Christ. I guess is Jesus's highest desire for you and me if you're a believer in Christ. Here's why I say that. Um, Jesus prayed for us in John 17. John 17 includes the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Scripture by far. And there's two parts to that prayer. The first part is Jesus praying for his disciples. And he prayed for them because this was the night before the crucifixion. He knew they were all going to fall away. So he prays for them, but he has a much longer-term vision praying for them. And then the second half of the prayer, he says, Now, Father, I want to pray for those who will come to know me through these guys. That's all of us. That's the church who would come to know Christ through the ministry, the missional ministry of the apostles and all that came after them. And so in that second section, when Jesus is praying for us, I want to draw your attention to two verses. And I'm kind of taking them out of sentence and out of context, but you can just to accentuate what they're saying. But look at 1721. Jesus is, These are the words of Jesus, and he's praying to his Father on our behalf. And Jesus says, Father, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If you just stop and think about that, wait a minute. Jesus is praying, Father, would they be in us? So Jesus is referencing the Holy Trinity here, his union with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's saying, can we invite believers into that union? I remember the first time that occurred to me it's just like a what? I don't begin to understand all that. I'm just trying to tell you what the scripture says. Look at it in verse 23. If we can add that on, Jesus said, "I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity." Now, most of the years I've read this prayer of Jesus, I thought it was focused on unity, that Jesus was praying for his church that we would live in horizontal unity with one another. And oftentimes I would, I'd be kind of frustrated about that because I'd think, well, we're, I'm not sure we are because we've got all these different denominations. There's always bickering and stuff going on within any congregation. It's like, seriously, can we not live in unity? Jesus wants us to do that. But the real focus of this prayer is union before unity. And I want to suggest to you that unity is an outcome of union. Jesus' greatest desire for his church is that we would live in union with him. And if we do, then we'll be united with one another. Unity, horizontally, is an outcome of vertical union. That's what Jesus is passionate about. I in them and you in me. That we would somehow, in some mystical way that I can't fully articulate, be brought into inclusion with the very triune God. What? That's Jesus' desire for us. How does Scripture describe this union? Uh, There's a lot of verses, and I just want to give you two uh give you two that are kind of indicative of all the Scriptures on this. The first one is 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite verses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Notice the phrase, in Christ, that speaks of our union. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a different person. So, so, new creation, the language there, by the way, means for new creation, means literally a new species of being that never existed before. Now, I still hang on to some of my identity as Matt Boyer's, but I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. Why? Because I'm in union with Jesus. So, this is a position, some call this positional truth. I, I, it's part of being transferred into the kingdom of God. It's the basis of my transfer into the kingdom of God. And so you, we've told you before, like the book of Ephesians, there's over 40 references to us being in Christ or in Jesus or in him. It's a very prominent theme of the New Testament. It's Paul's favorite phrase to describe a Christian, those who are in Christ or in Jesus. But that's not, just, that's not the completeness of our union. It's also Christ in us, Colossians 1.27. Paul speaks of this thing as a mystery. He says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, referring to this union, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So really two phrases that, describe, that teach our union with Jesus Christ. One is we are in Christ, and the other is Christ is in us. It's both and. And so when Paul says what he does in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's speaking of his union. Christ is in me. I am in him. Now our challenge as kingdom people is to recognize this. Yes, God has brought us into union with the king, and then he asks us to live from that union. So that's our next point. Let's, let's go on to that now. Actually, no, let's not. Hang on a minute. Let me see what all I want to say here. I'm trying to prune this down a little bit because we've been really long this morning. Yeah, let me move on to this idea of how, how now do we live from this union. If that's our union and we study that and we and God gives us insight to that, how then do we live from it? Because that's our challenge. And the scripture gives us um, a metaphor that we studied a month or so ago and we had a graphic about that. If, if you can put that graphic up there of the body. This is one of the several metaphors the New Testament gives us to help us understand our union with Jesus. It's that we are members of one body, and so we graphically showed it this way with the crown on the head, meaning Jesus Christ is the head of the body. That's what 1 Corinthians teaches us in verse 12 and Ephesians and other places. And then we all are a part of that body. So we are brought into Christ, literally into this formation of this global eternal body of believers and you can see we're all kinds of colors. We're male. We're female. We're kids. We're elderly. Doesn't matter. We're, 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 and that's our union with Jesus. We the hand is connected in unity to the foot because both are in union with the head. Union first, horizontal unity second. Now we're called to live from that, from who we are, from how the head of the body empowers us and resources us, as opposed to this guy outside of Jesus. See him. He's outside of Jesus and he may be trying because he's close to Jesus, but he's not going to get it right because he's not united with the king. And too often we try to live for the glory of the king without being in union with the king. Let me give you another little graphic here. Keep this one up here, but think of this is Jesus and this is you. And you come like this. Okay, I'm close to Jesus and we're in proximity and I love him and he loves me and He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and all those songs that we write about this relationship. And then I'm close enough to him, I can see how I ought to live. And so I see how I ought to love my spouse because Jesus tells me how to do that. And I see how I ought to raise my children. And I see how I ought to steward the money God gives me and how I ought to work in the workplace and how I should spend vacation money and what I should do on vacation and where we should go and how I should plan for my future. All this is exemplary from Jesus because I'm close to him. I want to suggest to you that's not union. That's just proximity. And this guy's close to Jesus, close enough to see what Jesus is doing, see what His church is doing. But unless you are in union with Jesus, you're not going to get it right. Unless He fills you with the knowledge of His will and empowers you with understanding and power and strength to live it, you're going to fail. I think this is a better picture of Christian union. This is Jesus, this is me, and we, we come together and we lock together in union. And so that what I do comes from the heart and the mind of Jesus, and the two are inseparable. You <laughs> can't break them apart. One is union, one is proximity. I think that's an important distinction. And we are called to live from our union with Jesus Christ, to live from this eternal relationship of, of union. And so we've talked this morning and God capacitates us to do that by the gifts we've said so that we can live for His honor and to please Him. We can, be, we can live with joyful thanksgiving, all of the things we've talked about. But we have to understand who we are in union with Him and live from that. And I think that's the key for us because if you're a believer in Christ, God has already done this, but too often we still try to live it this way. So our challenge is to understand our union. And I'm not saying that's easy, and I would let you guys know I'm an engineer and my brain's analytical, and I'd love to stand here and give you 10 steps on how to live out your union with Jesus. I've been on that journey for 40 years myself. And I just think it's time and prayer because these things are gifts from God. And I think God enables us to apprehend this and to live from it. And I've been doing some reading recently that, that affirms that it, it, this apprehension has been a long time coming in me, and it was in some others too. One of those was Hudson Taylor. How many know the name Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor was really the founder of the China Inland Mission back 150-ish years ago when uh, his heart was to take the gospel to China in the rural areas, not just the cities, but to go out where Christians hadn't been. And so I've always resonated with Hudson Taylor because I'm a rural guy in the rural space, and that's just my heart too. Um, And so Hudson Taylor did this through great suffering. And there's a biography called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret that his son wrote about his life. And it's just interesting to read, you know, because we run off to Africa some and uh, get on a plane, you're there in a day and a half. You know, well, Hudson Taylor had to take a boat to China. (laughs) It takes him like three months to get to China. And we think we struggle with COVID. By the time you get to China on a boat in the middle of the 1800s, you're sick with all kinds of stuff. So it probably takes you another six months to get yourself healthy. It's amazing stuff, as you read in this man's biography. But he lived out of his union with Jesus, but he didn't fully apprehend it or apprehend the depth of it until way later in his life. I mean, he'd been at this for decades until he said this. And he, he, he writes this about the sweetest part of his union with Jesus. He said, the sweetest part is the rest. And by that, he means rest in the soul. The rest which full identification with Christ brings. He said, I'm no longer anxious about anything as I realize this for he i know is able to carry out his will in me and his will is mine so in other words hudson taylor said i finally was able to stop i got to do this to please jesus i got to please this to earn favor with the king and rather like wait a minute i'm in union with the king and as i rest in him he will compel me to do things and to go places and he will work his will through me not because i strive because I rest in Him. And I don't think you can rest in Jesus until you have some... Or let me say it this way. The more you apprehend this union thing, the more you can rest in, uh, in Jesus. And so Taylor gives a, a point of encouragement later in this biography. He says, If we set ourselves not to allow any pressure to rob us of communion with the Lord we may live lives of hourly triumph. Mm. And this guy faced a lot of suffering. And he says, if we refuse to let any circumstance or any person or anything rob us of communion, and by the way, communion is the expression of our union. We can live lives of hourly triumph. Now I want to quote another author, a little more contemporary. How many of you know the name Christy Knuckles? Christian musicians, written some great stuff, sings some great stuff, really some deep lyrics that have come out of her ministry, and her husband, he's kind of producer-writer as well. She's re- written a book recently, and she says this, she says, Our enemy's fiercest strategy against us is keeping us consumed with living for God rather than living from God. Our enemy knows full well that when we live from God, It lifts the burden and the stress and the striving and restores us to the joy of knowing God and loving Him. Same thing Hudson Taylor said. If I understand my union, I can rest in that, and then I can live from a center of that rest and peace. I allow Jesus to live through me because I am in Him and He is in me. It's a very different thing than striving to please the King. Church, we have been brought into a new kingdom. God capacitates us to do that, not to live like this, but to have even something greater, to live like this, to live in eternal union with the king. And the, I love the biblical metaphors of this. And Paul says later in Colossians chapter 2, he says, since then you've been rooted in Christ. Live from that union. And he, he brings up this, the metaphor of the vine and the branches that Jesus taught us in John 15. And I just want you to think about that a little minute for a minute here as we wrap up. It's a beautiful metaphor. And so you think of Christ the vine, and we're t- the whole point of that text is that we would abide in him. That just means abide in our union, rest, continue in our union with Jesus. He's the vine, we're the branch. So think of crossroads as this branch on the lower left side of the vine. We're just one of many branches on that thing. And then there's all kinds of other branches there's some branches in India. Only about 3.5% of India is Christian, but we know a lot of those brothers and sisters. We support them. Uh, Some of us have been there and we've, we've hugged them. We've seen them. We've, we've, and we are united with them. Not because we dress the same, because they dress funky weird over there. You understand what I'm saying to you? We're united with them not because we eat the same food, because their food it lights me up, it dang near kills me. They eat hot stuff over there. We're united with them not because we speak the same language. They speak Telugu with a very funny way, and we're not. That's not what unites us. We're not united because we spend a lot of money and get on an airplane and hang out with them. We're united because we're connected to the same vine, us here and them here. Our vertical union. Connects us eternally in unity as Indian Christians and American Christians. We have black brothers and sisters in this country. We are united with them, not because they're here, don't see many, but because they're connected to the same vine we are. And so we need to celebrate our diversity. And this is an opportunity we have as God's people and God's kingdom because no other kingdom is quite like this because the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is made up of people from every nation, every tribe, every ethnicity, and we will be that way for eternity as the kingdom advances. And only the people of God's kingdom have opportunity to celebrate that. No other kingdom is diverse as we are. No other kingdom has Arabic peoples who are a part of it and American peoples and African peoples and Hispanic peoples and South American and people from every tribe and nation. And we can be on mission together. We can lock arms in union with our Savior, with Jesus Christ to reach those those unsaved peoples in all tribes and places of this planet. Sorry, I I said I was going to try to go faster. Well, I'm not, so I'm on a a roll here, sorry. Sorry. Just remember who you are, church. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not succumb to the petty, damaging, racial divide in this country. Because we have opportunity to be a people of oneness and unity because we can share in union with Jesus Christ. Okay. You get there by surrender. If, if you're here and you're going, man, I, I, I kind of want this, but I don't know. I still think I'm kind of like this. And Jesus is more exemplary to me than he is really compelling, my heart. Uh, just ask yourself, have I fully surrendered or am I still hanging on to me? Because you've got to be done with me till you lock really heart-to-heart with him. Um, so yeah, you can pray about that and assess that. But when you get to this place yeah, we're just going to go over it, okay? Let's just admit it and be over it. When you get to this place, everything's different. Your parenting is different. Because, you know, by the time our kids came, I was a pastor. And I was a young pastor, and nobody really had trained me to be a pastor yet. So I was all kinds of nervous about, am I going to have PKs? Am my kids going to grow up to be preacher's kids, and there's this stereotype and all this, and and we talked about that as parents, and we were like, you know what? we got to give them a chance. We can never say to them, young man or young lady, you do this because your father's the pastor. We didn't want to put that kind of pressure on them. Because then it's external. It's you better live up to a certain standard. No, your parenting when you live out of union for Christ is, honey, what you did was, was kind of wrong. Let me help you understand that. Remember who we are in Jesus. Jesus puts his spirit in us. Jesus is growing his fruits in us. Remember what some of those are? And what you did is, is, is not living from that fullness, is not living from that love of Jesus, or that grace that he puts in you. It was kind of a rebellious thing. Do you understand that, baby? You see the difference? Or when I live in union with Christ, my marriage is completely different. I'm still learning after 42 years how to love my wife. Are you kidding me? And if it was just a cognitive thing, I would have figured it out by now. I'm not brilliant, but I'm smart enough to figure that out. But there's still this lack between. I know what I ought to do, the good I want to do, but I don't do. I know what I ought to do, the good I want. I need Jesus Christ to capacitate me. I need to live in union with Jesus, and from that, if I'm ever going to live, my, love my wife as Christ loves His church, I got no shot unless I live for my union with Jesus. I can give some money to missions. I can give some money to people around here who need some stuff. Then I, Should I have done that? Because yeah, I kind of want this and that thing. No. When I live in union with Jesus Christ, he, he, it's His money. He's the one that put it in my hands. Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to steward this? How do you want me to sh- share it, spend it, save it? You tell me. It's your stuff. Totally different. When we worship, we worship out of our, from our union with Jesus so that praise naturally overflows, singing overflows. Okay. Sorry, I've gotten a little disheveled here towards the end of this message and just kind of going on. It's a beautiful thing that happens here. I'm going to close with a quote from an author named Louis Smeeds. And I'm going to use the word movement in this quote, but let me help you understand before you read it. Take that off don't don't go there yet because they're going to get all lost in that. Thank you. Movement's kind of a buzzword today, isn't it? Everybody's launching a movement and all these social media stuff trying to launch a movement. Everybody wants to be a part of a movement. It's organic, and yeah, let's get on the bandwagon and be a part of a movement. Well, Lewis Smeads used the word movement" long, long time before it was a buzzword before it was popular, right? But that's really what the kingdom of God is. Remember back to, I think it was our second or third week. I think it was Kevin, Brother Kevin, that preached on the uh, yeast in the dough. And once you put that yeast in the dough, you can't be stopping that stuff. It's going to penetrate. The into, it's advancing. It can't, it can't be stopped. And that's who we are as kingdom of God people. If we're in union with Jesus, and the king has come, and is advancing his kingdom on earth, the kingdom is moving. It's a movement. So Smead says this, being in Christ, we are a part of a new movement by His grace. We just pause in the quote. Remember, He capacitates us. It's His grace. He, He's transferred us. He's made us the citizens. This is a movement rolling on toward the new heaven and the new earth where all things are made right. And the rest of our series, we're going to get more and more of that just about what, what is this new Vision, what is in our future as kingdom people? So it's rolling on towards that. We're in the already, but the not yet. But whether it's in the already and the not yet, here's the last phrase. This is a movement where He is all in all. Where our King Jesus is the entire scope of the kingdom, and He is in all of us as kingdom people. We are united. With the King. And so as the King advances His kingdom on earth and cosmically, we advance with Him. Wow. Lord, I can't even say that without just a certain amount of goosebumps going on in my body. And this is all due to Your glory and for Your honor, Lord Jesus, because You're the one who's united us with the King. And you're the one who capacitates us. Who's qualified us and transferred us into your kingdom. And then you're the one who gives us a knowledge of your will and understanding and strength and power to live that out. That we can live to please you and we can live for, for the glory of our King. Not because we try harder, but because you live through us. So grant us even greater, Lord, apprehension of this. And uh, as we worship you now, may we do that from an overflow of our fullness in you for the glory of Jesus. Amen.